1: Hello there and welcome to the Future Toolboxes podcasts, the Z to A of life skills. Now this week, the letter is R for reading and guess what? We have a fantastic guest
2: along this week. So we are really, really pleased to welcome our really good friend and fellow author, Elise Downing-Long. Hi Elise, how are you?
3: Hey, yeah, I'm good, thanks. Thanks so much
2: for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming along. <laughs> it's an honour, absolute honour. So this week we're talking about R is for Reading, which ties in with World Book Day on the 2nd of March. And obviously we're real book fans, aren't we? Because we write lots of them and you've yes. written your book called Coasting, which
0: yeah.
2: I've got to say is fantastic. I really enjoyed it. I read it whilst I was on holiday. Mm-hmm. Oh, me, yes. I was saying to George, oh my god
1: this is amazing this is amazing all the way through it it was really good cause one of those books that you don't almost don't have to read because he was telling me all <laughs> about it <laughs> this is what happened oh and she's here now it was really really good really great i love
3: the i love the idea of people reading my book on holiday because i think that's my favorite time to read and when i was a kid like, i'd pack all my book and i was just the thought of someone sitting on the beach reading something yeah. i wrote that's just so exciting
1: <laughs> mind-blowing isn't it when, you, yeah. when people are reading your book yeah, so many people now sort of say that they haven't got as much time, but that's definitely where they read a book. It's on holiday. Funnily enough, last June, we were on holiday. Where we were staying, there was a couple sort of across the call area. Yeah. We got to know them, and they were ever such a lovely couple. They could see Mark sitting there on the patio table with a laptop, sort of typing away. And so they asked, are you writing a book? <laughs> and he was like, yes. So we had a little bit of a chat about that and we told them about the books that we'd written. And then the next day, they're sitting there and they're like, we've downloaded your book. Uh, What the hell just happened? It's absolutely amazing. You've made me cry today. And I'm like, (laughs) oh, I'm so sorry. You're supposed to be on holiday. (laughs) I think I don't care about
3: strangers, but when it's like someone in front of you, it's such a strange experience. You're, yeah, yours are about you as well. I don't know if that would be different if it was like a novel. So somebody was reading something like made up, but when you're like, oh, you've read that quite personal thing about me. (laughs)
2: yeah anyway i've just realized we're chatting away about going oh god isn't this amazing but we haven't told our listeners
1: what your book's about yet because they probably don't know actually should we give you the chance to tell us about (laughs) it and everything behind the book the whole journey everything
3: yeah, I'll have a go. I'm notoriously not very good at like bigging it up. I think I always convince people not to read it. So I'll try not to do that. <laughs> so coasting is essentially in two thousand and fifteen and sixteen. I did a big run around five thousand miles around the coast of Great Britain. Um self-supported, carrying all my wow. kit on my back, had a little tent. Yeah, so basically coasting is about that adventure. Um it came out two years ago now, so there was a little bit of a gap between the adventure finishing And writing the book. I'd say that writing the book was definitely the harder. Oh really, I was going to ask you that. Yeah, definitely. Yes, it's just kind of all about my journey and everything that happened. And before I set up on that adventure, I was not a runner. I was completely unqualified to be doing it. And I think that was the thing I wanted to get across. I kind of hate it when you read adventure books. And they try and make them sound really like macho and like, and I just wanted to get across that. I really believe if I could do that adventure, anyone could. You know, I didn't
1: realise that you weren't a runner. I thought you ran miles anyway.
3: Not at all. So my brother is a runner, which is how we know each other. Um, My mum runs, my dad runs, my whole family were runners. And I had started running two years before I set off. So I I had done a little bit of running basically I set a new year's resolution that I wanted to run a half marathon at that point I literally couldn't <laughs> run around the block um, I remember when I told Chris I was going to his, the Birmingham half marathon in 2013 Chris is my brother he was surprised I think and I just about made it round that and then I decided the next year I'd try and do a marathon which I was dressed as a purple a crayon for <laughs> and why I know? cried. <laughs> I cried for the whole thing, and a small oh. child called me the crying crayon, which is, a i remember like, reading that
2: bit in the book. It, it did yeah, make me laugh, uh, and I wasn't laughing at your expense, by the way.
3: <laughs> it's fine if you are, but I hadn't done loads of ultra running. i have done that one disastrous marathon. I didn't know. I just didn't know. any I didn't know what I didn't know. Like I didn't know you were you were meant to fuel, or I didn't really know you were even meant to train. I don't think. So yeah, <laughs> I definitely wasn't an experienced runner <laughs> at all. Wow.
2: Do you know what? It really made me smile because I picked that book up and I started reading it. Obviously, being a keen runner, done some bad marathons, done some OK marathons. And as I was reading it, I thought, I just want to go off and run around England now. <laughs> and there was a funny bit in the start where you mentioned about packing your camping gear. Yeah. And I don't camp. I don't sleep in a tent. Jules and I have been married 20 years this year. We've slept in a tent once. That was enough. That, that'll that do me. And it was really amazing. That, how many times did you sleep in your tent on this journey?
3: Well, Towards the end, I did sleep in it quite a few times. But for the first six months, I didn't pitch the tent once. Oh, really? <laughs> <I just laughs> and that's quit. what made me
2: want to run around the country.
3: <laughs> you, just, you just ran with it on your back. Well, I did eventually after a couple of months. I actually, my dad came to visit, and I sent him home with it. Basically, I thought I'd need to camp because I knew I couldn't afford to do it if I'd have to stay yes. in a B and B or something. So would be so expensive, and also it just like I'd read other adventure books and followed other people on social media, and it just seemed like that's what you did on an adventure—you camped. And I was like, right, that's what I'll do. To be honest now, I like camping now and I feel pretty comfortable going and like wild camping up a mountain, say on my own where nobody else is around. Yeah, but I still wouldn't just put my tent up on like the outskirts of Portsmouth in a park <laughs> by myself. But I thought, I think especially because I probably read a lot of adventure books by men, and they maybe it's a slightly different experience. Yes. But as a woman, I still wouldn't want to just put my tent up anywhere. Yeah. So I just thought I'd be like, oh, I'll just do it anywhere. And actually, I was this is terrible. I hate it. So um <laughs> I, I have a bit of sympathy for me back then. Would... <laughs>
1: oh, oh. So how many miles a day did you actually run? Or do they have so, to read the book to find this out?
3: Oh, no, this I'll give out this bit of information. <laughs> uh, so it, I think it averages out about 17 miles a day. It took me 10 months in the end, the 5,000 miles. But that at the beginning, I was doing hardly any. I was doing much. I was doing like eight, ten miles mm. at the end of the day, super slowly. And then I sort of built that up over time. So by the end, I was doing like 20 or 30 miles a lot of days, which wow. feels wild. Like now I run that once and I'm really tired. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, It's hard to like imagine that I could do that every day. But your body just adapts. Like It's amazing what you can get used to. It I is think.
1: true. The book's called Coasting. So whereabouts did you start and where did you finish and did you plan your route?
3: Yeah so I started in Greenwich in London mainly because I'm well I'm from Northampton middle of the Midlands I didn't have any particular like affiliation to anywhere on the coast I didn't really know where to start and you have to come in quite a way along the Thames to cross it anyway so Ah. coming into London London only added about 30 miles onto the whole thing compared Mm. to crossing at Gravesend or slightly out towards Kent. So although it sounds like London's obviously not on the coast at all, it, it's not actually that much longer. And I was okay. living there before I set off, so that like, mm. all my friends were there. I thought, right, that's it makes sense as a place to go. Set off on November the first, which is probably a weird time to uh Cold. start a great British adventure. <laughs> yeah. And um yeah, off I went with my backpack on.
2: I think a couple of key things that you said right at the start. And we on this podcast, we talk a lot about personal development, uh, mindsets, growth mindsets. Mm-hmm. And you said two things. One of them was you weren't a real runner. And the other one was I talk people out of reading my books. <laughs> <laughs> and there's two massive bits of imposter syndrome there. Yeah. What I always find really fascinating is people see you sometimes, they they, they do with us as authors and speakers, and they mm. think you're these super confident people, and you've run around the whole coast of England. And all of a sudden, you're telling people, well, I wasn't really a runner, and I'm not very good at writing books. How did that whole adventure change mm. your mindset from start to finish?
3: Yeah, I think the, the thing that I actually found hardest is because yeah, I definitely still don't really feel like I'm a runner I'm just trying my best I always say it was quite funny because the people I told that I was doing this thing split into two distinct categories all the people in like the adventure world who I I got I emailed a few people to advice and got so few people and they obviously didn't know me at all, except for the fact I told them I was going to see this thing. And they were so supportive and like amazing. And they were like, yeah, you can do it. Go and do it. Because I obviously didn't know how inexperienced I was. And then when I told them, my actual friends and my family, they were just, they were, none of, nobody was like unsupportive. But they were a bit like, what on earth? Like, there's, there's no way you can do this. I think ignorance is bliss, to be honest. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. But something I did find quite difficult at the beginning was people just love to give you advice. And I think it's generally really well-meaning, like they really want to be helpful. But I just got so like bogged down in it. And sometimes it, I had a lot of people come and run with me along the way from local running clubs and stuff, which was like amazing, really nice. But I'd get really serious runners come in. They'd come in their hydration pack and they'd be like ready to run. And... <laughs> And I was just like, although they were much better, better, faster, more experienced runners than me, ultimately, well, 99.9% of them had never done that day after day, really long running adventure. And I realised after a few months, that I just needed to like go at my own pace, go really slowly. It doesn't matter. If, you can go as slow as you want, really. You'll still cover the distance. And especially at the beginning when I wasn't doing loads of miles every day, it, it didn't matter how fast I was going and actually the slower I went the less exhausted I was the less like I was getting injured and stuff like that hmm. but it took me quite a while to sort of have the confidence I think to say to people like no I know how I need to do this and it's clearly working for me because I'm getting somewhere and I need to do it my own way and I just sort of like people would come and I'd be like right I will run a bit faster today and I will eat this thing you've given me and like <laughs> and I think by the end I definitely got a bit better at being I guess a little bit more confident in like well I know that this is this is working and this is how I do it and putting everyone's opinions to the side so I'd say that was a key sort of like mindset shift of being like right I I know what I'm doing and it doesn't matter what you think.
1: That's really good so it raised your confidence and it sounds as well as if it, it made you more assertive at being able to actually know what it is that you need to do and other people coming in and are trying to. To tell you how to do something. And it's like, no, I I know what I need to do and I'm fine. So, more or less, just leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. (laughs) I
3: suspect I'll probably still get it a lot more as a youngish woman than perhaps someone else might because people just do want to give you their opinions and they think you need sort of like looking after. And it's like, no, I know what I'm doing.
1: I can imagine that. Yes, for sure. Because, yeah, a young woman setting off on her own, running the coast of Great Britain. If my granddaughter came to me and said that she wanted to do it, I would be like, well, I'm coming with you. you know as parents or like you're saying family especially it must have been a little bit scary for them you doing this
3: (laughs) I think my dad actually always like he actually made me feel less nervous in a way that's quite good my dad's quite practical about things and he loves the outdoors really likes climbing mountains and stuff and he always says he much prefers it if I call him and say I'm off a mountain today than when I used to phone him walking home from the pub late at night living (laughs) in a city and then he'd be like get a taxi don't walk home on your own and I think that is a really good way to like look at the sort of safety side of things like although there obviously are certain dangers and you need to like navigate and whatever I actually I feel so much safer in those sort of like outdoorsy kind of environments and I think my dad's really instilled that so people always ask him if he was worried and he always says he's a lot less worried than yeah when I'm like oh I'm going to the pub and he's
1: like oh don't do anything stupid <laughs> do you know yeah I, it's that's, true isn't it it's
2: probably that a lot safer true do remember chuckling reading the bit where you were uh, alluding to axe murderers don't really hang out on the moors like we see in films and uh, yeah and it's true isn't it because if if we watch a film on tv how many films do you see where the opening scene somebody being chased for a forest get that in our mind don't we it's like oh my god if i go in a forest i'm gonna get chased by some mad axe murderer
3: <laughs> yeah no literally and i think there is like a lot of that like rhetoric around isn't it like don't go outside by yourself don't go to these places and obviously the danger is if somebody wants to harm you and you're you're obviously a lot more isolated than those virus statistically it doesn't happen like you'd be a rubbish axe murderer if you were waiting up a mountain for <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not coming, what
2: somebody come in <laughs> I've been here for three years they finally come in
3: yeah,
1: so yeah, <laughs> sorry my that, dad yeah.
3: was really good at like instilling that I think and be, being sort of I guess more like logical about the fears yeah. that are out there rather than just getting carried away with your axe murderer fantasies
1: I'm I'm glad he did because otherwise he <laughs> wouldn't have written this Wonderful book for people to read. But it's true because when you when you talk about things like that, I, I think about I have an absolute dread and fear of motels in in America. <laughs> I don't think I'd ever stay in one because I just don't think I think somebody would do Yeah, you know. but he
2: gets bumped up in a hotel, yeah. don't they? Um, but yeah, I've got to ask you a serious question. So when you was on this epic journey, did you read any books about axe murderers? Or did you read any other types of books whilst you were on your journey?
3: <laughs> I didn't read any axe murderer books, but I did make the mistake of listening to quite a lot of true crime podcasts which (laughs) didn't help but I did read quite a lot actually I had I I always had a book in my bag which I guess some people would say wasn't essential weight but you're spending like there's actually a lot of downtime on an adventure you're spending a lot of time on your own whether that's in your tent staying in a hostel just like there's a lot of downtime and I didn't I don't know what I would have done with that if I hadn't had a book so I used to always just like buy one at a charity shop and then Mm. trade it in at the next place that was my strategy um for book replacements so I read I tended to read quite a lot of just quite easy reads mm. I d- I found I didn't want to read any adventure books I was like <laughs> I spent the whole day thinking about adventure so I just liked reading quite like easy read like sort of beach romance books just yes. um, and I was quite tired I guess I didn't really have the like mental capacity mm. for a really like tough read but I read yeah the whole way around I always had a book in my bag <laughs>
2: what was your favourite would you say you found on the on the journey
3: oh I'm not I, to be honest, I can't remember any specific <laughs> books I read which I think is because I was just reading those like, formulaic no like earth-shattering books but I do I, as I feel quite passionate about the fact that those sort of easy read books are just as valid a form of like reading it's I kind of hate people being really snobby about books like you yeah. should be able to just enjoy a book and it doesn't yes. need to light your world on fire and obviously the ask some amazing maiden book some books to me are a bit like I don't know wa- watching made in chelsea on tv they're <laughs> just every book doesn't have to be really stimulating and intellectual
1: yeah. yeah that's a very very good point and there is a place for every book isn't there every story whether it's your own story or whether it's a story that you've created there is a place for every type or topic of book isn't there
3: yeah, and I think to make like reading accessible and fun, you mm-hmm. need to promote that and not just be yeah. like, well, if you're not reading War and Peace, then what's yeah. the point?
2: We always looking at the benefits of reading. We obviously work with teenagers quite a lot and you give a teenager a book, it hasn't got an electronic device attached to it unless it's a Kindle, of course, and that, yeah. that doesn't really excite them. So we try and encourage teenagers to read massively. But we also encourage adults to read. And one of their biggest objections, they always say, is the age old, oh, I haven't got time to read unless you're on the beach, like we were saying earlier. But we always find the real big benefits is it's really good for articulation. So Mm -hmm. as you're saying, you're switching off at the end of a day's adventuring. Mm -hmm. Somebody could be switching off at the end of a day's busy work or a Mm -hmm. stressful day. But it's also good for picking up your language skills, your grammar, and your ability to understand language and learn new words as well.
3: Yeah, I think I think that's definitely true. Like someone said that the best thing to do to be a good writer is to read more, and I do try and read like a variety of books because I think that's so true, isn't it? Like, and it just I guess it must get in there somewhere. (laughs) Oh, that vocabulary! I think I think for me, especially now, one of the main things I love about reading is just, and this is why I won't read on a Kindle is because I like the fact there's no screen involved. That for me is like the biggest benefit. I think something that you get so absorbed in like, isn't a screen, it's not binge watching. So, And it feels like even when you're just reading like an easy read, it feels a bit wholesome. <laughs> like, you know, you like binge watch a whole series and you just feel a bit dirty. At yeah, you
1: know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. exhausted. Exhausted, that's what you feel.
3: <laughs> I never feel like that when I read a book. I always feel like, yeah, I read a book. Sort of sense of achievement. I think the fact that it's not on a screen to me is like, especially like in this day and age, like <laughs> <So laughs> the, the best thing about it. To be honest,
2: that's, that's amazing because that's is. actually just answered my question. I was going to yeah. say book or Kindle. <laughs>
1: <Yeah. And laughs> no, I won't read a Kindle. <laughs> no, and there's absolutely something magical about having a book in your hand and feeling it as well. Because I don't, I don't know, and the smell of books. I love books yeah. and I love libraries and things like that. So I think it's so much better to have am just
3: have buying them, them and like going to bookshop. I've got, I've got literally. you probably audio. You can't. Oh, you can just see my washing era. That's my bookshelf. <laughs> just been really terrible for an audio podcast. I'm just trying to do a really bad visual of my bookshelf. So
2: um, what we but, just saw there was Elise's bookshelf <laughs> behind the clothes era. For those of you, and the
1: chair. <laughs> Don't forget the chairs. Yeah. Something else I picked up on that you said, particularly when you was doing your coasting, your run, your big (laughs) 5000 miles, mind blowing, that you read a lot. You would go to charity shops and you would swap your books. It doesn't have to be expensive to read. Some people think, yeah, you know, you've got to pay £12, £15 for a book, but you can't. There's all these places where you can get them and swap them. and That's a huge tip to people, isn't it? No, it's terrible for us authors buy our books. I'm sorry. Yeah, what am I doing? That's it. I'm out out of money now.
3: But yeah, I think charities are fantastic for books. I definitely got that from my mum. She always buys all of hers. Because obviously, books that I really love, I keep, I'm not very good at passing on books to be honest I'm a bit of a hoarder <laughs> but books that are just like those maybe like my mum gets through so many like crime books mm. and she doesn't need to keep them all so she just like gives them back to charity shop you yeah. can buy them for 50p a pound and it is just like you say such a good way to do it and obviously there are libraries I'm terrible at taking my library books back on time so <laughs> but we should use libraries more because otherwise we will lose them but I feel like a charity shops a very good library alternative without having to we take tight. them back on time and obviously you get give us money to charity. Yeah,
1: that is true. It, it is a win-win, isn't it? So can I just go back to, sorry, uh, you've probably been asked this question a million times. <laughs> so you you know the answer to this off pat. But in your amazing epic, as Mark called it, journey, <laughs> I'm guessing that you will have had some challenges. <laughs> what was the toughest one, the hardest one?
3: I think for me, the biggest challenge about the whole thing is... And I guess maybe like you can sort of apply this to reading a little bit as well, actually. Now I think about it, (laughs) maybe 10 years (laughs) It was like the never endingness of it. And I I think it was that feeling of even when I was enjoying it, especially at the beginning, I can't comprehend how much more there is to go. And the fact I'll be doing this for another six, seven, eight. Months mm-hmm. and I think I listened to actually a different podcast. I can't even remember who it was with recently. Basically, it was how like obviously we're so used to like posting about social media or whatever and getting like an instant reaction to it and it all being this very quick. Like and anything with like delayed gratification, which I guess like reading is as well. You're just a bit like oh well, it's going to take me a long time to get through that book and do that. And I definitely found that with the run. It's hard making yourself do stuff that takes a long time. And it was just that feeling of like never endingness of it and it. Was, fact it was never going to end so I made basically the only way I could get my head around that was I started doing what I called the two week rule which was if at any point I was having a really bad day because also I wanted to enjoy it I was so lucky to have been able to go and do this thing I didn't want it to be miserable so if at any point I was having a bad day two weeks later than that if I was still having a terrible time I was allowed to think right you can quit but if I had a good day in that time I had to sort of like reset the clock So then I could kind of get my head around just doing two weeks. That felt a bit more manageable. I do that now on like shorter runs. Like even if you just go to do a long run one day, it can just feel mind blowing thinking I'm going to run like 10 or 20 miles today or whatever. So I think just like breaking it down into chunks is really helpful. That's definitely the thing that felt like the biggest challenge, just like wrapping my head around the enormity of it.
2: Yeah, I think that makes sense, doesn't it? And again, we've said this on podcasts and videos that we've done before Mm -hmm. is that age-old question how do you eat an elephant and it's break it down into bite-sized chunks yeah. and we always caveat that we've we're not big fans of eating elephants because yeah. <laughs> but yeah if, if you break something down and make it more manageable and it's the same with anything in, go- in life we were talking about goals in January and the reason why people fail in their goals is because they see them as too big yeah running around the country is probably the biggest goal that we've come across for quite a long time so you have to break that down into a hell of a lot of chunks, don't you? You can't yeah. just say, yeah, I'll get this month out of the way and then focus on next. Because people just don't have yeah. that ability. They try and get through each day, don't yes. they? Yeah,
3: yeah. I think, I always find it really helpful to think the time will pass anyway, whether you spend a year doing that thing or not doing that thing. It feels a bit mad being like, well, in a year I could have ran around the country. On a day-to-day basis, it's hard to get your head around that, isn't it? I definitely found that with like writing the book. If I just sat down and did it, it would have been done. But instead, i procrastinated.
1: <laughs> so I was going to ask yeah. about writing. What was the best thing about writing it?
3: I think because, yeah, it had been four years between finishing the adventure and starting writing the book. And I think the main best thing about it, to be honest, was just getting to like go back through all of those memories because i've shared a lot of the journey on social media so i went through and i literally made a massive spreadsheet of every single day of the run and like where i started where i finished how far I ran and what happened on that day I was posting these like videos and stuff because to be honest I just I didn't keep a diary and I couldn't remember and it was so amazing to go back through all those things and I'd forgotten so much our oh, memories are rubbish I'd forgotten <laughs> so much stuff and I was like oh yeah I did meet that amazing person it was really nice to relive the whole thing I guess the other best thing about writing it is just a bit cheesy but just like when you do get a message from someone saying but it like inspired them to like go and do a run themselves or like made them realize that you don't have to be this like super athlete, that's just the best thing,
1: isn't
2: it? Oh yeah, yeah, that's incredible, isn't it? I'm just thinking about when we've written our books in the past, and we did what the hell just happened, which was a yeah. story about uh, my brain injury, living with that, and then the knock-on effect of Jules having to live with me living that, and then Jules going through breast cancer, and and we went through bereavements and everything, and I found that book really hard to write because it brought mm. back a lot of painful memories. And then when I did Half Man Half Marathon, like you, I had a spreadsheet,
1: <laughs> which I
2: actually kept along the way. And like you're saying, it brought back some really amazing memories because I wrote about my journey of the brain injury again in that book. And I wrote about it from a different perspective because I understood it now, but also I could see where I've maybe fallen down. So I was yeah. looking at things and thinking, oh my God, I was pushing myself for personal best or... I was going out and doing five days in schools that week, driving around the country, coming home and smashing myself at a half marathon or whatever at the weekend and thinking, how did I do that? I think there's two things. You have the memories, but you also have the learning experience of, oh, if I was to do that again, I might look at it slightly differently. Yeah. And I'm sure in the whole time you were going around the country, if you was ever going to contemplate that journey again, <laughs> and I know you told me that you're not, but you would probably do it differently, wouldn't you?
3: Yeah, I definitely wouldn't do it again. <laughs> I think I always think it's a funny question because be, I just don't want to do another 10-month run of any kind. Mm. But I can understand people asking that like, if you do a similar thing again, you don't get many 5,000-mile runs in your life. Surely you'd go somewhere you new and right. do something different. I I find it a bit of catch 22 almost because if I was going to do it now, like I've done a lot more single day and like multi-day adventures and I know how to plan an adventure and I know how to read a map and all of that stuff. So I'd find it so much easier to do it. I've got better kit, but I also think I wouldn't end up finishing because I guess I am like a bit fit down. I've got a bit of higher expectation of how far I'd run and stuff. I wouldn't rein it in enough at the beginning I think I would struggle to start just doing those like seven or eight mile days which I did at the time because I just wasn't fit enough (laughs) to go any further and so I'd end up getting injured within a week and also yeah like ignorance is bliss I just don't think I would have I would ever start so I think I could start now and I'd be better at planning it but I wouldn't end up
1: finishing
2: it I like the ignorance is bliss and even though we do set a lot of goals we tend to do that don't we
1: yes there are times when the not knowing is better than the knowing isn't it
3: (laughs) yeah definitely because I think also what I found is if when you're doing something really long I don't know if I I guess it's different when people do like ultra endurance challenges never running like 100 miles a day and they're trying to set a record obviously that's different but the kind of thing I was doing it doesn't really get any harder if you do it for a week or 10 months like the mental side does but physically it it doesn't. But I think now I've done quite a lot of things like running the West Highland Way over a few days. And I think if I'd done stuff like that before, I would have thought, well, that was so hard for three days. How could I possibly do that for 300 yeah. days? But actually, it doesn't really get any harder.
1: Do you know, I am absolutely in awe of what you did. And, and it was fascinating to see it on Facebook because you did put posts yeah. up on there. It was It was absolutely amazing watching that and reading your book. So anybody that's inspired to either do something like this or just wants to read your book where can they get it
3: i love saying this but you can get it at all good bookshops <laughs> <laughs> obviously i'd always sort of suggest people shop at their local independent bookshop but you can also get it at water amazon everywhere really um, and i do sell signed copies on my website which is elisedowning.com oh. although I'm much slower than if you go to Amazon. So it <laughs> <laughs> depends if you're on speed or efficiency.
2: Yeah, I'm with you on that. Come to us and get a signed copy, but you have to wait a little bit longer when, when you yeah. come to us independent mm-hmm. authors. That's great. It's absolute pleasure chatting mm-hmm. to you today. And thank you so much for sharing World Book Day with us. It's a real honour. So for you listeners out there, it's at com reach out to Elise and congratulate her on this amazing achievement but the message was also support the independent authors but just get reading as well think about the real benefits it can give to your mental health and you haven't got to run around the country they haven't got to run around the country have they Elise
3: no absolutely not I'd say my like rally and cry at the end of the book is you don't have to run around the country
2: (laughs) Brilliant. But no, thanks for joining us. Really, really appreciate that. And thank you for our listeners out there for joining us as well. We are Mark and Jules of the Future Toolbox. If you want to find us, you can find us on social media. You can go to our Instagram, uh, Facebook or TikTok.
1: TikTok. <laughs>
2: you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel as well and find us on LinkedIn. And we look forward to catching you next week. Thank you again, Elise.
3: Thanks so much for having me. It was great to chat and be
1: involved in your World Book Day podcast. Yay. And we'll catch up with everybody next week. Bye for now.
0: Thank you for joining us for the Z2A of life skills with Jules and Mark of the Future Toolbox. Don't forget to head over to their website which is futuretoolbox.co.uk where you can find lots of free resources plus a host of books in the store as well as subscribing to the membership site. Follow Future Toolbox Instagram, TikTok and Facebook at Future Toolbox and subscribe to their YouTube channel too.